Mark, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're just excited to have you guys here today, just like Dana said in the video, if you're brand new, uh, or if I've never met you right after church today at, the, at our Welcome Center big area there in the lobby, we've got a free gift for all of our first-time guests, uh, but if I've never shaken your hand said hi to you, I'd love to say hi to you this afternoon before you have to head out, it won't take a, but a second, we're just so excited to have you here. Hey, I want to throw a couple things uh, into what uh, you just now heard. One Starry Night is coming up December 14th. If you want to help out with that, you still can. If you have questions about that, you can come to the Welcome Center at the end of the service. Uh, several things that they're looking for, that we're looking for, uh, that if you have, that we can borrow and get back to you, um, like clothing that would look like biblical times, baskets, things like that. Again, we're going to make this whole place look like Bethlehem, and it's just, we want it to be an immersive experience. And so uh, costumes, outfits, baskets, anything at all that you think, hey, they could use that here, uh, we would love to know about it and borrow it. Like I said, you'll get it back. If you have something like that, hang out for just a second and let us know about that at the Welcome Center uh, before you leave today, all right? And hey, students, students, tonight, 5.30 middle school, 6.30 high school, all right? Hey, I'm going to pray for us, and uh, we're going to jump into some stuff this morning. Let's pray. God, help us this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come? And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and that you would speak to us today, that that God, the speaker would be you, not me. And, and so, Father, I pray that you'd open up our hearts and our minds. God, do whatever you got to do to let us hear from you today. That's what we want. That's what we need. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Um, there's, there's a song uh, that's out, been out for a while. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty popular right now. I think as time goes on, it'll get more traction and people will really catch on to it. Um, it's called Amazing Grace. How many of you guys have ever heard of the song Amazing Grace? Put your hand up, okay? All right, pretty much everybody. Pretty much everybody's heard of that song. And maybe, uh, maybe you know that song was written by a guy named John Newton. Uh, John Newton had a pretty rough background before he got saved. He was a slave trader before he uh, got saved and Jesus changed his life. He didn't really grow up in church, had a pretty rough background. And uh, maybe you knew that. Maybe you knew a little bit about John Newton who wrote that. Um, but maybe you didn't know or you don't know kind of the circumstances around what led to John Newton writing Amazing Grace? And to know that, you got to know about another guy uh, that most people honestly don't know, but they should. His, name's, his name is William Cowper. And William Cowper didn't grow up in church or anything like that. Family wasn't uh, really religious, uh, a lot of people think. And uh, from a really early age, William Cowper battled debilitating depression. As he moved on into his teenage years, he attempted suicide several times. And, and it came to, to a point, it, it was so severe, they actually put William Cowper in an insane asylum. Uh, we might think a psychiatric hospital, but they actually put him in an asylum uh, there where he lived. He spent, uh, spent well over a year there. And the doctor that was assigned to William Cowper was a Christian. And so every time he would go in and, and try to work with him, uh, he would share the gospel with him, tell him about Jesus. And William Cowper, after hearing about Jesus for a while through this guy, William Cowper prays to get saved. And it would be really neat if you could take that story and say after William Cowper got saved, he never struggled with depression again and never attempted suicide again, and that's not what happens at all. He's going to battle depression for his whole life. He stays in that asylum for at least another year. When he gets out, he goes to a church, and that church is pastored by John Newton. 
And John Newton and William Cowper, they start to get to know each other. It doesn't take long for Newton to pick up on the fact that Cowper struggles with depression and suicidal thoughts. And so, he, so Newton says, listen, I'm going to try to help this guy out. He just really starts pouring into him and investing in this guy. Starts inviting him to come along when he does like house visits or things like that. Um, and as they build a relationship, John Newton picks up on the fact that William Cowper loves poetry. And he's written a lot of songs, and John Newton loves poetry, and he used to write songs. And so Newton has this idea, hey, listen, you know what we ought to do? We ought to write a hymn book. Now, how many of you know what a hymn book is? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Some people in the 930 were like, oh? And so, so trust me, they exist. And, uh, and, and so when John Newton says, you know what we should do? We should write a hymn book. Let's make a collection of songs that the church could sing. You write half, and I'll write half. So William Cowper says, okay, that's, that's great. And, and William Cowper wrote some songs that honestly a lot of churches still sing today. And one of the songs that John Newton wrote to put in that hymn book, it's called the Only Hymn Book. You can Google it. You can buy a copy right now. One of the songs that John Newton wrote to put in that hymn book was Amazing Grace. Now think about that for a second. The, the most famous song in the history of the church, one of the most famous songs in the world, came out of one guy trying to keep his friend alive and help him walk through a season of depression. You know, the World Health Organization estimates that every year, 800,000 people die from suicide. That averages out to about a person every 40 seconds, and you can't even begin to think of the people who attempt to try, who try suicide and fail at the attempt. And so today in our series called Hope for Mental Health, we're going to talk about suicide. What does God say about it? And you might be wondering, why in the world would you even talk about this in church? And I'll tell you, it's really simple. The reason we're going to talk about this in church is because it's in the church, people struggle with these kinds of things. And I won't even talk about the church in general. I'll talk specifically about this church. Um, about a year ago in November, we started to ask people to fill out their connection card every single week. And we do that every single Sunday. So if today's your first time, at the end of the sermon, we're going to take a second and ask everybody to fill that out. We do that for several reasons. One, because God just brings a lot of people here every week, and that's a really good way for us to try to take care of people, to help people. Last week, there was, there was over 400 people here last Sunday. That's way more than one person uh, can try to care for. And so when people put down their prayer requests and everything on those cards, a team of people every Monday, we pray over those. We reach out to every single person who puts a prayer requests down, try to, and try to walk with them. So it's a great way for us to care for people, to help people say, hey, I'm here for the first time, and try to help them take their next steps in following Jesus. But one of the things that ha started happening last November, and it's happened steadily all through the year leading up to uh, this, uh, this November, which will be one year since we've done that, is over and over for the past year, we've seen connection cards that are turned in, and on them people put, I'm struggling to live. I'm really thinking about committing suicide. I don't think I can go on anymore. I don't want to live anymore. I want to die. And we've seen that in this church. It's like a drip, just like a, at a steady rhythm over and over and over and over and over. I should be totally honest with you. A lot of times we get those cards back and they don't have names on them. So why would we talk about it? Because it's in this church. Is it in the church? Yeah, but it's in this church. And so we're going to talk about it. And, and I, think if, I, th I think what we're going to do today 
We're going to try to do two things. One, I want to try to give some hope. I mean, that's what the series is called. But before we try to do that, I want to answer the biggest question that I get. Um, and I get this question over and over when it comes to this issue. And it's this question here. Do Christians who commit suicide go to hell or is suicide the unpardonable sin? So that's two questions. So the easiest way to answer this question is actually to reverse the order. Let's do the second one first. Is suicide the unpardonable sin? No, it's not. Now, you might have never heard of that. What's the unpardonable sin or Jesus, uh, you know, the unpardonable, the unforgivable sin is what Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, calls it. You can read about that in, in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. And what happens is Jesus is performing miracles. Pharisees, religious leaders of the day, they see what Jesus is doing, right? He's healing the sick and all these things. And they say that the reason Jesus is performing the miracles that he's performing is because Jesus is possessed by the devil. And so Jesus says that is the unpardonable sin, to take the work of God and to say that Satan did it, to give Satan credit for what is really the work of God. We can see Jesus say it here in Mark 3, 28, 29, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. This is honestly, guys, worthy of a whole sermon on its own. But what is the unpardonable sin? It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. To say that the work of God is really the work of Satan. Is it suicide? No. Jesus doesn't say anything about suicide here or in Matthew or Luke when he talks about the unforgivable sin. So the unforgivable sin is not suicide. Now, do Christians, real genuine followers of Jesus, who take their own life, who get to a place and they do that, do real followers of Jesus who do that, do they go to hell for that? And I want to cautiously answer that question with a no. And the reason I cautiously say, use the word cautious, I use that word specifically, on, intentionally, come back to it in a second. I want to cautiously answer that question with a no. Now, is suicide a sin? Yes, and the Bible's clear, Ten Commandments. You don't have a church background at all, you know that. The Bible says that murder is a sin, even taking our own life. But, but, it, but, but do Christians who take their own life, real followers of Jesus who get to this place, and it, do, do Christians who do this, do they automatically go to hell? I want to cautiously say no. And when I talk to people about this, one of the things that comes up, and the reason that maybe people think this, maybe you think this, is, is, is that when we think about sin, people who think, well, you know what, everybody, Christians rather, who commit suicide automatically go to hell. The reason that we, a lot of people think that in conversations that I've picked up on is because they believe that sin is simply things that you do, not a condition that you have. So sin is simply just things that you do. You do bad things. But the Bible says, Scripture says that we are sinners. That sin isn't simply things that we do. It's a condition that we have. That's why the Bible says that we're born sinners before you do anything wrong. Before we do anything, we come out of the womb with a sinful nature. Sin is a condition, and just like being sick. Just like having a disease. You know, if you've got a disease or a sickness inside of you, it's going to come out in different ways in your life. The condition of sin is going to lead me to sin. There's going to be things that will, you know, we're talking about the way we treat other people, think, the words that we say, the things that we do. So, so sin, yeah, it's things that we do, but deeper, it's a condition 
that we have. And Jesus on the cross died for our past sin, our present sin, and our future sin. And not only Jesus died for the sins that we do, Jesus died for the condition that we have. Jesus died for the condition of sin and the things we do as a result of that condition. But a lot of times when we have this kind of conversation, people think, well, Mark, if somebody does that, they don't have a chance to repent. They don't have a chance to ask God to forgive them for that. And the reason we ask that question, I've had people ask me that question here in this church. The reason we ask that question is because somewhere inside of us, maybe you think that we need to make sure that we confess every single possible sin that's in our hearts in order for God to forgive us. But if we think that, let me ask you a question. Do you think that there could be sin in your life right now that you don't even know is there? I mean, the prophet Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? I can't, you can't, only one is God. Listen, there's sin in my life while I'm preaching this sermon right here, right now. There's stuff in my heart I don't even know about. There's stuff in all of our hearts we don't even know about. That's why, thankfully, the gospel isn't simply that Jesus died for the sins that we commit. Jesus also died for the condition that we have. Now, when you look at Scripture, seven people take their own life. There, there's, there's seven suicides in the Bible. I mean, the most famous one is Judas. But another one that maybe you've heard of is a guy named Samson. You've heard of Samson, right? And I don't have time to go into, into his story. You can uh, check it out on your own. It's in the book of Judges. God gives him supernatural strength. He kind of forsakes that birthright and walks away from the purpose God has for him. God was, he was supposed to destroy a group of people called the Philistines, and, and he compromises. Turns out the Philistines capture Samson, take away his strength. They begin to torture him, gouge out his eyes. And if you read that story in the book of Judges, God begins to give, begins to give Samson his strength back. And in Judges chapter 16, verse 30, Samson prays this prayer. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. So they have this party, the Philistines do, they bring Samson out, they're going to humiliate him just to show that they're stronger than the God of the Israelites. Samson positions himself between these two pillars, and the book of Judges said that Samson pushes those pillars down, kills everyone in that temple, including himself. So Samson takes his own life. The next time you read about Samson in the Bible... It's in one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, Hebrews 11. It's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's got some of, the, some of the people that everybody knows about and celebrates, the godliest people that we think of in the Bible, Moses, Abraham, David. And in Hebrews 11, verse 32, it says this, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, and who's the next name? Samson. And so Samson finds himself in the hall of fame of faith. One of the godliest people that God raised up who at the end of his life had a dark moment. I love Romans 8. Romans 8 says this, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And he goes down, knowing all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, rulers, things present nor things to come, nor powers, height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So nothing 
nothing can separate us from the love of Christ once we are in Christ. So why am I taking a little while to belabor on this point and just to lay it out for us the way that I'm trying to? It's because some of you are here, you're watching online, and you know somebody who was a follower of Jesus got to this point, and now you're left and you ask what happened. Then on the other side of that, you're here today and you are in that dark place now. You are having these kind of thoughts now. I mean, if there's an emotion that we can try to put with suicide, it's the emotion of despair. Despair is when you are at the bottom. I mean, when you're in despair, your heart has given up hope to ever being happy, to anyone ever coming to help you, to save you, to fix you. You are at the bottom. And maybe that's you today here. Maybe that's you as you're watching online. And you're there and you're thinking, where is God? And I want to tell you today, God is right there with you. God is right there in that dark place. And so what do we do? How can we have hope if you are thinking these kind of thoughts, if you are in that pit of despair, if you find yourself in the darkest moments of your life, how can we have hope? Psalm 13. Go ahead and grab your Bible, turn it on if you got it on your phone or whatever and open it up. I want us to look at Psalm 13. Remember, we're in the Psalms of Lament. Lament is a prayer or a praise. It's a song born out of, pra- born out of pain, Rather, and what we said last week, we'll say it every week in this series, the Psalms teach us how to talk to God. So Psalm 13, the words are going to be on the screen behind me. Psalm 13 says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Do you hear it right there? Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice over your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 13 is written by David. Goliath killing David. David, a man after God's own heart. David, in the hall of fame of faith, we saw it a minute ago. Here he is, Psalm 13. God, have you forgotten me? God, where did you go? God, listen to me when I talk to you. That's what he says in verse 3. It might be clearer in your translation. God, look at me when I talk to you. You ever have a parent or grandparent talk to you that way? No, you're in trouble when they say that, right? Boy, you better look at me when I talk to you. Can you imagine talking to God like that? David, Psalm 13, 3, God, look at me when I am talking to you. Listen, I want to say before we dive in here, under no pretense, I am under no mistake at all. There is nothing in me that thinks if you are here and you are struggling with, with bipolar depression in any way, shape, or form, or you're in the pit of despair, you're having suicidal thoughts, you just find yourself in the darkest place in your life, you battle anxiety, panic attacks, all of these things, there's nothing in me that thinks one sermon is going to fix it all. See, you are made in the image of God, 
And if that's you today, or fear, worry, anxiety, whatever that inner battle looks like, you're made in the image of God. And so the way that we fight these things, you need to fight those things in a way that encompasses or covers everything you are as somebody made in the image of God. You need a way to fight these things emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So it might be you're talking to a counselor or you're meeting with some people here at church or, or a therapist. It might mean you're going to a doctor and you're on some kind of medication. And listen, I want to say to you, if that's you, listen, you are not some second-class uh, Christian. God doesn't look down on you for that. I'm of the opinion that, 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 listen, if God uses that in your life to help you, that is a sign of God's good grace to his people that God has made that available. But we also need a way to attack those things spiritually. So even though we've laid out this morning what God says about suicide, if you're here and you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, I want to say to you, like we said earlier, suicide is a sin. But if you are here today or you're watching online, I want to say to you with everything that I can, and I just pray that you would hear me right now. If you are here today listening to this, and man, you are just resonating with this at a really deep level, I want to tell you today that if you're here, you're watching, or wherever you are listening to this, God's will for you is life. You are made by God, and you are not a mistake. You are not worthless, and you have a purpose, and you are loved by God more than you could ever imagine. Life is is a gift, and God's will for you is life. But if I'm at the bottom, what do I do? I think David gives us two things. So if you're taking notes or whatever, write these down. The first thing that we see David do is David gets real. We gotta, we gotta get real. We're gonna see hope and find God at the bottom. We gotta get real, and I mean getting real about life and getting real about who God is. I mean, I just love what David says here, how honest he is. God, how long are you gonna forget me? Look at the rest of it. God, how long are you going to hide from me? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like God's just hiding from you? Have you ever felt like God has forgotten you? We might have a hard time expressing that. We might have a, a hard time saying those things. But listen, I'm just convinced if we were honest, we'd all admit that we felt that before. And so God has just given us permission to be real, to be honest. And listen, Christians ought to be the most realistic people around. Christians ought to be the most realistic people around because we know that the world is broken, but we also know that brokenness doesn't win. We know that death is dying, that Jesus wins, and there is hope. Amen? We know those things. Listen, for too many Christians, too many Christians act and talk like their Bible ends at Genesis 3. Right? Genesis 3 is when the fall comes, when sin enters into the picture. And the way that too many Christians talk and think and act is everything is always falling apart. Nothing ever works out. Everything is bad. Some of us just sound like Eeyore on steroids. And nothing ever, nothing ever goes right. Can I just be honest with you? Listen, a great way to see your faith shrivel up is to become cynical. And see, what David is doing, David says, listen, God, this is where I am. God, I feel like you have forgotten me. This is emotionally where I am. But when he flips it in verse 5 and says, but I trust in your steadfast love, he's not just saying that because he feels the pressure to be spiritual. David is saying, God, this is emotionally where I am. I feel like you have forgotten me, but I know this is not the last chapter of my story. I know this is not where it ends. I know you have not forgotten me. And listen, listen, when we can get that real 
about where we are and who God is, all of a sudden, God can break through in the darkness. But we don't stop there. We don't stay there. The last thing, the second thing, is crucial. This is a big deal. We need to make the pivot. We need to make the pivot. That makes absolutely no sense. But what we're talking about is, do you see everything happening there in the first four verses? God, how long are you going to forget me? How long are you hiding from me? God, it, feel like, it feels like my enemies, verse 4, are winning. And then all of a sudden there's a change. All of a sudden there's a shift. There's a turn. There's a pivot. Every one of the Psalms of Lament has a pivot with the exception of Psalm 88. We looked at last week. Remember Psalm 88, last verse, darkness is my closest friend. I'm sure you've memorized that. It's the happiest verse in the Bible. Maybe you got it tattooed on you somewhere this week. Right. And so so but but every single one of them makes some kind of turn. They make some kind of pivot. David is making the pivot. Says, God, I feel like you've forgotten me, but I trust in your unfailing love. Listen, we don't know how long the journey was between verse four and verse five. It could have been days, could have been weeks, it could have been months, but we know that David is not trying to put a spiritual band aid on it. David is saying, God, this is how I feel, but this is who you are, and I refuse to let go of you. See, this is how faith works. See, faith is a muscle. Did you know that? Faith is a muscle. Now, let me, let me ask, ask it this way. How many of you work out, go to the gym, raise your hand? This is your moment just to brag, flex a little bit as your hand's going up. That's me right there. Yes, right there. Right, anybody do that? Raise your hand. Raise your hand one more time. Raise your hand one more time. Literally nobody in the 930 raised their hand. Nobody. Everybody, like in the 930, they thought I was speaking in tongues or something when I started. They was like, what? I need an interpreter. I don't get it. Um, they had no clue. They, they didn't understand. Right? Listen, have you ever went to the gym when you didn't want to? Have you ever worked out when you didn't want to? Man, you ever tried to eat right when all you wanted to do was eat the whole cake? Right, just like shove it in my face, right? I, you know, just give me the whole thing. You ever try to do that? Sometimes you got to go to the gym when you don't want to. Sometimes you got to do what you know you need to do even when you don't want to do it. You don't feel anything. Here's where we make the mistake as followers of Jesus. Here's the mistake we make. We make the mistake that I've got to feel something and then I'll believe it. I've, I've got to feel something, and then it's genuine. I don't want to be—I don't want to be inauthentic. I don't want to lie. I don't want to fake anything. I don't feel it. I've got to feel it for it to be real. I've got to feel it for me to believe it. But listen, we've got the order wrong. You believe it, and then you'll feel it. That's why, that's why, listen, the best thing you can do when you don't feel like worshiping is to worship. That's why the best thing you can do when you don't feel like raising your hands is to raise your hands. That's why the best thing you can do when it feels like God has forgotten you is to say, God, I don't know where you are, but I trust that you are right here with me. I am trusting in your unfailing love. And what, what happens when you do that is you are flexing your faith. You're working out your faith. Your faith is getting stronger when you believe even though you don't feel him. Even though you don't see him, you worship even though everything in and around you may say, don't worship, he's left you, he, you can't trust him anymore, he's abandoned you. But man, when you worship in the middle of the darkness, your faith is growing, right? Amen, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Your, your faith is a muscle and you've got to work it out. So I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but maybe you're at a place where you just feel like everybody's leaving you. 
You just thought you could always trust or bank on this group of people or these friends. I don't know what that looks like. You just feel like everybody is against you. And you just need to go to God and use your faith and flex it and say, God, I feel like the world hates me. God, I feel like everybody is walking away from me. But God, I believe that what they mean for evil, you mean for good. God, I believe that my enemies are not out of control. They are under your control. God, I believe that you control their mouth, their tongue, their minds. I believe that one day they will submit to you here or then but God it's under your control even though it hurts right or you might be in that dark place where you just feel like you're in that pit you don't know if you can keep living at the way that you are at the place where you are and you just got to go to God and say God I don't feel you God I don't see you God I feel like my life is just it's, it's ending but God I'm trusting in your steadfast love God, I know that you're going to be good to me because, God, you've been good to me in the past, and I believe that I will see it again. So instead of just listening to the darkness, instead of just listening to the hopelessness, I am making the pivot, and I'm going to hold on to God for dear life. And man, when you do that, your faith grows. You might be here and you say, listen, Mark, I am so dark right now. It is, it is so at the bottom for me. I'm in such a place of despair. I can't do that. I can't do that. Mark, it's so dark for me. I can't do what you're talking about. Well, you know what you need? You need somebody else to come in your life and to walk with you until you get to the other side. You need a John Newton. Somebody to walk with you and believe God and you can borrow their faith for a while until you can trust God. Somebody to remind you of a time when God was good. Somebody to speak into your life the promises of God. Somebody that you can call, text, somebody that will walk with you in the darkest moments of your life who loves you and loves Jesus enough to not let you go, to hold on to you and to hold on to God until we're all doing it together. That's what the church is for, isn't it? Isn't that what the church is for? The church is not some civic organization or some community event that we put on every seven days. We are a group of people so broken that the Son of God had to bleed and die and come back to life for every last one of us. And if he did that for me and for you, then there is grace in this place to say, I need help. I can't do this alone. And hope to God that somebody else would hear that cry, grab their hand, and say, I am in it with you. Amen? That's what the church is for. You need somebody like that. You might be here though. You think of Mark, I'm in this place. Everything you're saying is where I am. Everything you're talking about right now, it just feels like you are reading my mail and I don't know where God is and I want to tell you today, God is with you. God is with you. God is at the bottom. God is in the darkness. God is is with you. Our God promises that he makes everything good, that God turns everything for the good. And if it's not good, God's not done. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God makes everything beautiful in his time. If it's not beautiful, it's not over. Where's God? God is with you in the darkness because our hope summit is not a feeling. Our hope is a person, Jesus Christ. You pray with me today? And you might be here and you know you are in that dark place. You feel like you are in that pit. And I want to tell you today that you're not the only one that knows it. God knows it. God knows it. And God is right there with you in it. 
And you may be here and you're thinking, listen, I don't know where God is. Where you're telling me that God is with me, where is he? And if you're thinking that, can I just, can I just submit to you that we have never talked about this in church? This is the first sermon we've ever done on this topic. Could it be that God has tailor-made everything this morning for you? That God loves you so much that God knew you were coming today and this is where you are. God loves you so much that he put everything together for you this morning to let you know he is with you. So just with every single head bowed and with every eye closed, if you're, if you're here today and you say, Mark, that's me and I feel in that place and I just need prayer. If that's you, would you put your hand up right now so we can pray for you? Just put your hand high in the air if you say, Mark, that's me. I feel like I'm in that place and I just need somebody to pray for me today. Just put your hand up if that's you today. Put your hand up in the air. Amen. There was a hand right there. Anyone else? Just to say, you know what? That's me today. I need that prayer. There's another one right there. Anyone else? Amen. God, I just pray for every single person, God, that raised their hand that did not. God, who finds themselves in the pit of despair today. God, who find themselves in a dark place. Who find themselves saying with David, God, are you hiding from me? God, right now, I pray that they would know your steadfast love. I pray that they would know that you are not hiding. God, that you are with them. And God, that you would remind them of your goodness in their life. And God, that they will see it again. Father, I pray that you would give them hope. And God, it might be somebody that we're thinking about that that's maybe not us. Maybe they're not even here. But Jesus, we're just thinking about somebody that we know today who is in that dark place. And God, we lift them up to you right now, God. We lift them up to you. We pray, God, that that hope would pierce the darkness. God, that you would move and, and speak into their life today in a way that only you can. But guys, everything we've talked about today can't happen without Jesus. Unless Jesus is a real person in your life, not an idea, not a Sunday thing that you pick up and drop off for one hour a week, but a real relationship that he's your Lord and Savior and you talk to him and he talks to you. Do you know Jesus that way? Because that's how he wants to know you. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer and I just invite you to pray this prayer with me and surrender your life to Jesus for the first time this morning. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, God, forgive me for my sins. Come into my life and save me. I give my life to you today for the first time. Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for loving me, for dying for me, and coming back from the dead for me. My life is yours. And God, for all of us this morning,